I'm Essen Zafar, and welcome to another episode of Unfair Nation, the podcast that discusses our nation's rising inequity and social, political, and economic inequality, what it means for you, and what you can do about it. Every other week, we interview one person for 25 minutes to get their perspective on structural inequality. And today, I'm joined by Ari Greenberg, president and founder of BCV. Hi, Ari. How are you? Good morning, Asan. <laughs> you can't even you can't even do the intro right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ari Greenberg. Sorry, sorry. Can't can't even can't even so, start. So it sorry. Aren't you happy he's your podcast guest today? Uh, I'm happy to be here. I don't know if they, I'm, I don't know if your audience. I'm is. ecstatic that you're here. Good, good. Thank you for joining us early in the morning. Absolutely. Uh, once again, we're at Tech Change at Tech Change Studios in Washington D.C. Thank you again to Tech Change for for hosting us. Nick Martin's also in the studios. He's uh, sitting far away from the mic, but fact checking. But fact checking us, and Nick. You want to say hi? Hi. All right. There's Nick. Proof. So Ari, um, you're going to talk to us today a little bit about um, kind of power inequality, but in the context of hotels, Airbnb, yeah, short term rentals, things like that. That yeah. industry. Sure. Um, before we get to some of the, the questions I have for you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, great. It's obviously great to be here uh, with you and on this podcast. I'm very excited to talk about the topic. So my background, uh, about uh, eight, nine years ago, I started a company uh, that provide technology-enabled services to the hotel industry. I uh, didn't have a hotel background coming into it, actually had more of a democracy and governance background. Uh, so I was able to kind of bring that lens and look at the hotel industry and what we were providing for it and what we were providing uh, for it. Obviously, during the same time of social media is growing, short-term rentals uh, and their impact on the hotel industry, how the hotel industry and how communities have responded has been something uh, very interesting to watch from the sidelines, but also as a participant uh, in the industry. And so I remember you telling me that you went overseas um, and you were kind of motivated to do good work yeah, yeah, and then came back and this was kind of your way to start down that path, right? Well, a little bit. So, I mean, prior to starting BCV uh, for the first kind of five years of my career, I worked in Africa doing democracy and governance work with parliamentarian uh uh, election monitoring groups, executive offices, et cetera. Uh, the financial crisis hit in 2008 and kind of looked around and said, hey, maybe there's something more I can do at home. Can I create a company that can create a lot of jobs, right? Uh, and we did. You know, we, we have about 100, 110 people working for us, uh, which is something we're all very proud of. Um, but originally, we started trying to leverage social media to help political candidates uh, become more successful and reach their audience in a more effective way. Uh, but we sort of pivoted uh, into the hotel industry to say, how can the hotel industry uh, and hotels in particular have a more direct relationship with their guest? Right. How can they provide better services? How can they market to them more effectively? And how can they showcase more of what they are doing in the community, more of what their experiences offer than just them being a, a room in a bed? Sure. Right. So that's kind of what we did. And that's the company that we built on for hotels. And we ended up working with uh, Marriott, Hyatt, Hilton, and all the kind of the big, uh, big providers, which has been great. Great. And then, um, what'd you learn during that process about hotels? Yeah. So it's, so I, I think obviously we all travel, right? Uh, sure. we all stay in hotels, but they're, they're ubiquitous, right? Mm -hmm. They are some of the 
biggest uh, economic catalysts in some of the towns and cities they're in. Uh, certainly, uh, there's a lot of lingo such as convention-wide and city-wide, mm-hmm. right? Which I didn't even know about, but literally a city-wide is a, a convention big enough to swamp all the hotels wow. in a major city, Chicago, LA, New York, wherever it is. Uh, and when that happens, right, like you just, you realize, okay, this is the impact of not just tourism, but conferences on these local communities. Sure. Um, and that goes beyond, you know, the big cities, you know, every kind of small town can also have a citywide right. and sweep their hotels. So that was an interesting perspective to me to see how kind of central they were for job creation, mm-hmm. bringing people in and all the different issues that they right. had around that. Yeah. Big economic engines and also big employers. Big employers, right? I think I saw something, uh, I think it was on the American Hotel Lodging Association, which is a lobbying group for the hotels, but they credit themselves for one in 25 jobs in America, right? Wow. So wow. it's obviously not a small part of of our of our economy. economy. Yeah. What about, did you ever work with, you know, there's the rise of these, uh, there's the rise of these services um, like Airbnb, kind yeah. of home sharing, whatever, yeah. whatever the term is. Did you work with with these outfits? And now Airbnb has a number of competitors. competitors yeah, right. Yeah. So I think the rise of home sharing, and obviously led led by Airbnb, they're certainly the market leader. They have about sixty five percent of the market, and then VBRO and a few others have maybe fifteen to twenty percent. Sure. Um, but you know, one of the things that both the industry at large and Airbnb kind of responded to was people's desire for a more local experience, right? Uh, If you look at what hotels are doing today and building now, they're no longer building the same hotel in a thousand cities. They're trying to incorporate more local knowledge, local flavors in the menu. And that is a response, right? Airbnb picked up on that because they're like, what's the best way to give an authentic experience? Stay in a local home. Sure. Hotel industry has a slightly bigger challenge because they're trying to do it for 300 people at scale. Right. And Airbnb is more of a platform. So that's the first kind of change that both that industry rode. And then, you know, I think hotels kind of weren't necessarily sure how to respond to short term rentals. Yeah. Right. Um, Airbnb comes up in some places. They're making a big impact. In some places it's not. I was at a number of conferences where major hotel CEOs said Airbnb is not something we think about. They're not a competitor. Interesting. And yet a year or two later. Almost every single big hotel company went out and bought an Airbnb competitor, yeah. right? So Accor right. Uh, bought One Fine Stay, uh, Hyatt bought Oasis, Marriott bought a small company in London called wow. Hostmaker. Hmm. Um, you know, so similar to how taxi companies initially reacted to Uber and ride sharing, right? They said they're not a threat. So the interesting thing with Airbnb is, like you said. Airbnb and its competitors position themselves mm-hmm. as, you know, these kind of community, um, you know, they're kind of good for the community. They help connect customers to a local experience. But what we've been seeing a lot of, especially overseas and now also in the U.S. a little bit in Barcelona, right. New York, and some of these other cities, is a strong reaction by the people that actually live there, especially people who live in low to middle income neighborhoods yeah. um, to Airbnb, yeah. right? Because they feel that Airbnb is just kind of letting people from outside the, who have no connection to the community come in because people have no connection to the community, spaces that aren't really designed for hotels in terms mm-hmm. of kind of parking and other amenities right. um, are coming in. There's been some 
um, anecdotal evidence that crime has also risen in sure. these communities where yeah. people are just kind of coming to stay in for one or two days. What are your thoughts on 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 that impact? Do you think that's a legitimate response to to these companies? Airbnb yeah, and things I, like that? I mean, I think that's something. And I, I also had the benefit of living in New Orleans, which in some ways kind of became an epicenter for this and was they did a couple of different things with regulation. But in terms of your overall question, right? You know, is Airbnb the reaction to Airbnb? Where is it coming from? Is it fair? Right. Um, one thing I would point out is that Airbnb, there's an overwhelming demand for these types of services. Part of the reason they're so successful, right, is people are looking to stay and looking for the benefits to have alternative lodging. And so that creates not an Airbnb problem, but also a community problem, right? So if you set up an Airbnb and all of a sudden it becomes a real source of income for you, it wouldn't work unless there was this huge demand for this type of product, right? Uh, and I will say, you know, being in New Orleans or being in DC, wherever you are, there are people that are investing in their own homes who live in low-income communities right. uh, and because they're making additional revenue. Right. You know, one of the things, and I'll go back to New Orleans in particular, but the hospitality industry there is huge. I would say a vast majority of people working hourly shifts work in the hospitality industry. And a lot of them have had desires to move up and start their own bed and breakfast or whatever small hotel. And Airbnb gave them the ability to do that. And they were really kind of diversifying their own income and growing it. And not for nothing, there is a benefit to bringing people into different parts of the city. I think sure. that's good. Uh, but it just be, when it became so overwhelming, right? There was right. a neighborhood, once again, in New Orleans called the Bywater, which became just like Airbnb, Airbnb. Villa, yeah, right? right? And there was like, well, it, was, it kind of swamped out the New Orleans-ness right. of that neighborhood when it was just yeah. basically a blocks of hotels. Do you think that they're, given that, right? So yeah. That's, a, that's what a lot of folks who think about these issues say, like, look, yeah, Uber came in, yeah, Airbnb came in, but it's also a revenue generator yeah. for these communities. Okay, understandable. Right. But do you think that, but there's still these kind of growth issues, like you yeah. said, Airbnbville, I like that. Term, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Um, do, do you think that there is a role for local municipalities to play in curbing that? Yeah. When they do start playing that role, mm -hmm. a lot of people get angry. Right. right. They say, ah, oh, but I'm making money off of Airbnb. Airbnb gets a little angry right. as well, right? Well, I think, I think like, look at the, look at the sides that's kind of playing out, right? So you've got the hotel industry, which is starting to organize and starting to push for more fair regulations, right? If they're saying, hey, if I'm paying 10% of a lodging tax, right, then what we need, then what we need is for Airbnb to also pay the lodging tax. They shouldn't get right. discounted, right? Then you also have people who feel, right, that their community is being changed and they don't want these Airbnbers coming through. Right. On the other side, you have Airbnb saying, hey, we're a platform. We're giving people the opportunity to do these things. And you also have people who are saying, hey, I'm this is good for me. This allowed me to invest sure. in my home. This allowed me to put my kids through school. This gave me additional income stream that I wouldn't have had access to. So you've got kind of these two groups, Airbnb on one side, the hotel industry on another, but also the community can kind of be split down the middle on this. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it gets organized. And then the local government has to kind of decide what's the right level here and yeah. what's the right role to play. Right. Most local governments that have taken an activist stand, New Orleans, D.C. in particular, have said, listen, the only short-term rentals we're going to allow are the ones in your home. Home, yeah. Right? Right. Which I actually think might be a little too strict, right? Mm -hmm. 
I totally understand and agree with the idea that, listen, you don't want third-party investors coming in, buying up a block of houses, yeah. right, to Airbnb them. Right. Like, you don't want that. It's happening in apartment buildings, right? You have right. an apartment building and someone come in and buy, I want the 11th floor, right. and I'm going to make that Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah. So I get that, but at the same time, I think, you know, in D.C., there was a real question, hey, there's a lot of people that are in the foreign service, they're in the military, Right. Right. They should be allowed to rent out their whole home. Right. Right. When traveling because they're traveling so much. Right. 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 And I think, you know, that's where I would like to see the regulations go towards like, hey, you can have your home plus one other home. Yeah. Right. Or something like that. Or one unit plus two other units. And I think that's the right way. I mean, also, I think there's a a role for Airbnb as well to be playing with as, as a really honest data broker. Right. Like, you know, could the local government say, hey, listen, there's a density factor to Airbnb. Mm -hmm. We don't want more than 20 percent of the houses here to be an Airbnb listing. Mm -hmm. Now, that kind of puts them in in, Mm -hmm. an adjudication role they might not want to be in. But Airbnb has that data and they could help be helping local governments figure out the best regulation so the community sees the most benefit. Right. More of a partnership. I have heard of third party companies. Yeah that are stepping in they're right. not airbnb they're not the government yeah they say we can act as a liaison right between the government and airbnb and help you regulate yeah isn't that funny um, right it's isn't, interesting isn't that like there's like okay airbnb recognized a market gap yeah. and, and that created a new market gap between right. them and the government so there's another crazy? yeah so i think that i think i read about a company called host compliance which mm-hmm. actually got bought right. by a private equity group that's right um and they're doing exactly that yeah. they're saying can't trust airbnb's data Trust our data, right? And we'll help you get the right, right. piece, right? And you know. then the other, you know, besides the government, there's been this reaction also from the industry that Airbnb and other competitors are purportedly disrupting, right? Yeah, that's the hotel, the traditional right. hotel, yeah. right? It's right. feeling like a disrupted, and like you said, some of them have started buying up these smaller right. Airbnb competitors. But what I've seen a lot of, mm-hmm. especially on social media, right. is are these like campaigns, uh-huh. you know, um, essentially what seem like advertising campaigns. Right. But they're, they're, you know, when you read the language, you know, you might see a Twitter post and they'll say like, our community, yeah, Ward right. 6 <laughs> in Washington, D.C., right. is against Airbnb for XY. Airbnb right. brings in crime. And right. some of these stats may actually have some relevance to them. Right. Uh, but when you dig a little bit deeper, you see that sometimes the hotel industry. Yeah. Have you heard of this? Or- so there's definitely, and you know, hotel industry is a huge industry, right? There's brands or ownership groups. Right. And so I think it'd be a mischaracterization to say the hotel industry at large is doing sure. some of this. But I do think, especially on Twitter, where we've seen so much misinformation campaigns and right. successful misinformation right, campaigns, yeah, yeah. right? Where certainly there could be uh, existing. Uh, asset managers or hotel owners or, or hotel affiliates, whatever it might be, kind of co-opting a community sentiment and making it seem bigger than it right. is, right? For so, their purposes. For their purposes, right. Right? right? I mean, if nothing else, right, you've got, you know, I think there's almost 2 million uh, short-term rentals across the U.S. right now. So if there's any type of density in a market, you can really lower hotel rates by just having an oversupply. Yeah. Uh, so it's certainly a concern for the owners, uh, and certainly they want to be on fair terms. Uh, and certainly you could see how attractive uh, a potential misinformation campaign right. might be right. on Twitter, especially if there is, because there's a nugget of truth to that, right? There is real community members that are upset about Airbnb. Right. So if you can amplify that, 
you know, and it, it speaks to your point, it feels a little more genuine than maybe it maybe it's maybe yeah. it really is. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of community, right? Um, yeah. And the hotel industry. Right. Industry, I'm, I'm saying yeah. that yeah, in sure. quotes, right? Yeah. For the people listening. That's the best quotes. thing about podcasting. Yeah. I never see the air quotes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the hotel industry, right? right. Um, and the community that they're looking to to kind of leverage or enhance the right their feelings about Airbnb. We often talk about quote the community, right? Right. But there's other individuals involved, right? right? So you have the people that ha- have an ownership stake in right. the hotels and Airbnb. You yep. have the guests that stay yep. in these locations. Mm-hmm. You have the community where the hotel is built, right? Or the, or the home is that's rented out to Airbnb. Yeah. But then what I think what's not often a, a portion of this kind of group of people that's not talked about often are the people that work yeah. at hotels. And now increasingly mm-hmm. there is a community of people that work to run Airbnbs. They come and clean, right. they kind of are property managers. And, you know, inequality in this country is rising. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. why there's a reason why like, Saks Fifth and the dollar store is doing really well and right. Macy's is not doing well, right? right? Because the middle class is kind of evaporating. Right. And they're being sh- and they're being sucked into usually the 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 lower income population, right. not sure. the higher income population. What you know, one of the people one of, I I find it very interesting that people who work at hotels mm-hmm. are at the nexus of this yeah. kind of situation because they don't make a lot of money. Right. But they get to see people Right. Who do right. make a lot of money? Yeah. I mean, it takes you have to be relatively well off, right? At least in the top twentieth percentile, right? To be able to afford a three hundred dollar room a night for sure. a few nights, right? right. And that's yeah. people's rent, right? You know, thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, a lot and of you're, ways. You're paying it for four days, right? So, based on your work in kind of yeah. hotels and in this industry, what right. what do you think about this labor environment? Do you do you think that luxury hotels? where guests mm-hmm. with great wealth right. um, encounter staffs of service workers. Mm-hmm. Is that a site for kind of extenuating this difference between the ha- kind of haves and haves not? Have-nots? So I actually have a slightly different perspective. So at luxury hotels, and I'm talking about hotels that are like $1,000 a night, right? Give they don't want names. <laughs> so, Give I mean, names. obviously, you know, Marriott has their Ritz-Carlton's, right. uh, you know, Hyatt has their Park Four Hyatt, seasons. Hilton yeah. has their... Uh, Waldorf Astoria, the Four Seasons, One and Only Rosa. These are these are the top of the top hotels, right? All the places I've never stayed. Right, <laughs> no, all the places I can't afford. Uh, but at these hotels, luxury hotels, they are investing in their staff because the staff become a differentiator, right? Uh, okay. When you're paying that type of premium, there's an expectation you're going to have a number of your needs catered to, uh-huh. and the staff there really take a strong pride oh, in that. Yeah. And I think they're paid obviously more a little so that's higher what you mean when you say investing it's not yeah. just kind of training but it's actually well, they're also trained i mean they're training and they're given a little more autonomy to respond to guest needs yeah. right okay. and i think whereas in kind of the middle tier of hotels is some, some more of the tension right so some of the brands would be you know weston uh, sheraton marriott you know standard hilton standard hyatt sure uh and especially the bigger the hotels get like the more of their 300, 500,000 rooms, these become right. big operations, right. right? And I think that, and, and they still have very high rates, right? They're still not totally accessible sure. to everyone, you know, right. 300, $400 a night, as you mentioned. Right. Right. Um, but there, you know, I think there's a lot more labor relation challenges because it's so many 
labor staff, right, that have to do so many different operations in such right. a compartmentalized way right. to maintain a certain gross margin that it be you start to feel more like a cog. Yeah. You're not given a lot of autonomy. There's right. not a lot of room for growth. There's certainly right. not a lot of room for wage growth, right? right. Um, you know, and that's kind of why we've seen, I think New York recently had the New York uh, Hotel Workers Union. Yeah. You know, Similarly I think in DC, DC well. yeah. they, they've been having these negotiations to kind of right. get Wages, you know, and at the same time, and, and you would know more about this. I actually want your opinion on this, but hotels have also tried to introduce a lot of technology, right, right. to help make workers more efficient in hotels, sure. uh, or help, or kind of in lower the cost of labor, right? right, in some in some ways. And the hotel labor organizations have been completely resistant to that, uh-huh. which I think exacerbates some of the tension uh, between those two groups, you know. But I, you know, I don't. I don't follow labor as closely as you do at large. Right. That seems to be a larger trend that more and more technology is being introduced either to monitor, or hold accountable, right. or to make labor more efficient. Right. And it seems like labor unions, or at least are 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 shown to be against that. So um, I will say one thing about yeah. labor and technology, yeah. and that is every time technology increases, it yeah. results in labor efficiency. Right. Um, but maybe we can have... We can talk more about that when you interview me. That would be good on my podcast. You know, on your yeah, podcast yeah, that yeah. you don't have yet. But I'm, yeah. I have to, this is too fun. I need you, my own. You need yeah. to have your own. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's start wrapping up um, the episode. Um, and I guess I, I, you know, the the only other question I would have for you is kind of where do you see, I think we're at a kind of a conjunction point, yeah. right? We have kind of Airbnb and we have the hotel industry. Right. We don't really know where things are headed, but right. where do you think we're headed in this kind of like short-term stay, extended yeah. stay situation? Do you think the hotel industry is going to evaporate and everything's going to become more like Airbnb or yeah. is Airbnb going to get like subsumed and co-opted by the hotel industry? Yeah. I mean, I think we're actually just uh, amalgamating the two, right? I think that's where we're going and you're starting to see more stabilization of this, right? It's kind of not kind of the wild west anymore. A lot like Uber, every city kind of has more regulation sure. and it's more structured. Um, but I would say the the de- desire for more travel and the desire for more local authentic experience is only growing, right? More and more people are spending more of their uh, disposable income on travel and what they want from travel. So that said, the hotels yeah. are, can give you some of that. Airbnb can give you some of that, right? When I travel with my family, we tend to look more for an Airbnb because we uh-huh. have multiple rooms around a kitchen. Right. Right. And when my wife and I go, we tend to look for a hotel, sure. right? Because we want more, more lodging, more luxury right. accommodation, Right. right. Uh, so I do think there's a obviously a big place, a big industry for both those. But if you look, Airbnb bought Hotel Tonight. As right, I mentioned, right. Marriott and all these guys are buying Airbnb competitors. Right. So you know you're basically just going to have large travel companies that offer mm-hmm. a mix of both. Right. right? right. Uh, I do think the most interesting thing over the next two or three years is going to be how local governments respond to create a balance and a fair playing field yeah. for this industry. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't, and I think we've started to get a couple of different models. And I think, you know, if the hotel industry, Airbnb, interested parties can kind of be honest brokers with their data, I think you can get to a really good situation where it actually isn't a strong investment for the communities. Communities don't feel like they're being overwhelmed and, sure. and it starts to become a, a positive a positive model. Yeah, awesome. Well, all right. This was fun. Thanks for for coming out early in the morning in Washington yeah. D.C. We're gonna have to bring you on to maybe do another episode or a follow up, especially as some of these regulations um, start to ramp up. Yeah, 
I will say for the podcast audience, I've known Ari for some time now. This is the most serious he's been. <laughs> it's been hard. It's been very difficult. It's for very Ari difficult to be for this me. Serious. Yeah. You uh, said there were no jokes, and we were doing this in one take. One take. Uh, <laughs> no jokes. We might. We might do outtakes. I would like to. I would like to open this up to maybe a more humorous <laughs> format. I mean, it's not a humorous topic, but I think. I think humor is, is a nice uh, a nice medium. That's not a bad idea. Right. You're episode three, so I'll, I'll take it on board. Okay, right. that's my feedback, um, but this is a great podcast, man. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Um, to everybody else, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Unfair Nation. Tune in in a couple of weeks uh, for our next episode. And until then, enjoy the rest of your January. Unfair Nations brought to you by Tech Change, and we have Nick Martin here with us today in the studio. He's the founder and CEO of Tech Change. Nick, tell us a little bit about Tech Change. Thank you, Essen. Tech Change builds beautiful and engaging online courses on topics related to tech and social change. Check out our course catalog at techchange.org, or if you've got an idea for a course and want our help to build and deliver it, Get in touch today.